Everything that we never had and we like to pop tags we Big bags we securing everything that we never had and we like to Yeah Whoa Zam What's going on Welcome back welcome back thank y'all so much this is the third episode of the Mindful Malpractice, Malpractice podcast Yes sir I'm your host, Cordell Caldwell. Um, I know y'all noticing, but don't worry. We will address that in a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> As always, I'm joined by my co-host and brother, Bryson Drennan. Go ahead and say what's up to him. Yes, sir. For all the people that are just now watching this, I am Bryson Drennan, TTU pharmacy student. Welcome to the podcast. Get to learn about us and get to learn about our viewpoints. Today, I got my tobacco pipe with me. It's a little different vibe. <laughs> Let's get the show started. That boy cheaping it up today, man. <laughs> I should have cut one of mine up here. I ain't even think about it, but it's all mm-hmm. good. We're going to go ahead and jump in to our life changers topic. And today's topic is about affirmative action and discrimination in the hiring process. For those of y'all who don't know or, you know, I've been living under a rock the last few days. <laughs> Brian Flores, former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, is actually suing the New York Giants and the NFL, alleging violations of what's called the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule forces NFL teams to interview at least one minority coach for a head coaching position. Mm -hmm. The alleged story goes that Brian Flores was getting ready for his interview with the Giants. Bill Belichick texts Brian Flores saying congratulations on the uh, being awarded the New York Giants job. Only problem was he accidentally sent the text to the wrong Brian, and mm-hmm. it was meant for Brian DeBall, who apparently had already been named the New York Giants head coach before they ever even interviewed Brian Flores. Yeah, and so keep in mind, just to give some context, this the Rooney Rule was instituted in 2003, almost two decades later, and there's only one current active African-American head coaching position. Just from that outside perspective, it's already flagrant how the NFL isn't necessarily addressing the problem of diversifying the head coaching position. Ryan Flores was just another instance of a black man trying to at least be treated fairly is getting a text message from a coach letting him know that hey before you even got the chance to get hired they already knew they were going to hire a white man but just because this rule was instituted they're going to give you the chance to get the job right and so he has good legal ground to make actions and decisions but when we take this step back you can see that this pattern transcends outside of the nfl just from a personal perspective i am one of few african americans in the pharmacy school And when I look around and I'm on rotations, there are slim to none African-Americans as a pharmacist. And so is this something that comes from maybe this profession isn't glamorized or it isn't educated to African-Americans when growing up through the education system? Or is it because that those who are in the profession aren't given an equal opportunity to hold the authority that a pharmacist has? It's funny. It's a similar story in the legal profession as well. Less than 8% of all lawyers are African-Americans. 
you hear a lot about diversity inclusion and certain places and professions are doing better jobs than other about trying to diversify however what's really necessary is diversity in who's making hiring decisions Right. right. We need people in positions of power who can relate to these candidates. And I even would say that I'm maybe a person who's a little bit hesitant on affirmative action, just because when people want to get around these diversity rules, they're going to find ways around it. It is much more effective to employ a system where people are willingly hiring diverse candidates and applauding them and rewarding them for that for genuine efforts because i feel like genuine efforts are much more effective than uh forced and compulsory diversity i agree with that in one sense but from the perspective that that's a, a really positive outlook on relying on people's or everyone's or maybe the hiring position rather i say their morals to be aligned with yours right you see differently you're an african-american you would like to be treated fairly but if you're of the the group of people that's not being discriminated against you kind of see things differently and so i feel like the importance of having from a legal standpoint it down written on paper affirmative action provides a, a framework for which people should operate now to your point there's definitely you know when you can write something there's always ways to get around it the written framework is an important aspect to providing a scope in which people should operate and you know i would like to see there be more of an emphasis and highlight to your point on the positives or the the, the african-americans that are exceeding in the organizations that are exceeding and use that as an example for an organization or a really large company that has a massive influence on people it's more of a positive benefit to have different cultures and inherent differences bring in multiple viewpoints rather than having one viewpoint, one look, one type of person dominate the hiring position. I think, you know, I do want to make an important distinction, right? When I say I'm hesitant about affirmative action, that does not mean I'm against the civil rights movements and right, all yeah. of the laws on the books that specifically say discrimination is illegal. Like I'm 100% believe those are an absolute necessity. Where I'm coming from is the specifics. You have to hire this many people of a minority or you have have to interview this many minority candidates mm -hmm. because what I don't want is there to be a system in place where a company can really harbor all the same discriminatory ideas, but they're affirmative action compliant. They're hiring the right number of minorities, but then the minorities get in there and they get treated like shit, right? Or they right. don't get the promotions the way they're supposed to. But this same company gets pushed up against these companies over here who are actually like, I want the best candidates. I want to promote my best workers and I'm going to make a valiant effort to find mm -hmm. the most qualified. I don't just speak on this in generalities. I've accepted a job, I think, as I mentioned on the first episode, one of the largest law firms in the nation. One of the biggest draws to me was the fact that they were so adamant about finding the best possible talent. And then when I went in and sat down and talked to them, you know, I told them, I was like, hey, 
I don't just want to be another lawyer here, right? Like, I want to climb the ranks. Like, I want to, you know, receive promotions. I want to get to a place of management, right? Like, I want to, Mm -hmm. you know, sit on the board that makes decisions. Is this a place that actually wants me and people like me in those positions, right? Like, what are y'all doing to make that happen? And they broke it down for me so clearly. It's like, yes, we are investing in you. We are putting people that are in leadership positions, we're bringing them to mentor you so that you can, they can, they can help you get to where they're at because we want your perspective. We want you involved because having a diverse identity is what's going to make us a better company, a better law firm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an awesome company. First off. And second of all, you know, it's, <laughs> Shout it, becomes, out Baker Donaldson. it becomes, um, when it becomes hard to gauge in the sense that, you find companies or you find situations where you think, is this company trying to hire me because I'm black or is this company hire me because I'm qualified and I'm also black. Right. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the affirmative action can lead to the, the checkbox situation where you're like, okay, we're diverse. We've hired X, Y, Z, but we don't present them with opportunities. And, you know, that was kind of one of the first things I had looked for in my pharmacy program w- was, diversity, right? And that's mm-hmm. actually one of the pillars. They have a couple of pillars of what they abide by in terms of the Texas Tech Health Science Center. And diversity was at the top of them. So it was clear to me that their emphasis on diversity wasn't just because we had to do this because it looks good, because it'll attract other people to come, but that this was a core component of which they operated and they seeked to provide healthcare. They wanted to provide people that will go into the healthcare field who are diverse, who when you're providing healthcare, you you can feel more comfortable with because not everyone looks the same and you can Mm -hmm. relate to them better. And so that's a really important part of of any work process for me, I'm imagining for you, connecting and finding people that aren't just in it, that are people that are hiring that aren't just in it to check boxes. And so let me ask you, what were the steps that you personally took to ensure that wherever the pharmacy that you were going to was a place that wanted you for you and not for your demographics. Just a step back, my my example was presented about my university. The pharmacy I work oh. in right now, unfortunately, they are not the most diverse, but it's it's an mm. awesome workplace. And you know that a lot of times you can, I would be okay with not having a diverse situation if the diversity wasn't qualified, right? And that's to say, you know, you just don't want to hire people because they're black and they get in the job or because they're Hispanic, they get the job and then they're lazy in the workforce. If everyone that's in the workforce is productive and they just so happen to be of the same ethnicity, that's something you can address, but it it wouldn't be as flagrant as complete disregard for, you know, someone because of their color. But in the university, as I toured the university on my interview day, I had the same similar open dialogue that you had with your your, um, law firm about how you guys are actively putting minorities in the position to not only succeed, but to have management roles, right? And this was something that they clearly had given thought into because everyone that I had asked this question to, it wasn't just one person. They all relayed similar information and they seemed compassionate about it. The energy was reciprocated to me and it just didn't seem like they were being superficial about it. And so when they broke it down in a manner to me that said, hey, we're not including X, Y, Z ethnicity so we can receive these benefits from government regulations or government bodies, but we're doing this because we know that the healthcare 
field needs more diversity so they can reach to more people because the USA is probably one of the most diverse countries. And so people who are receiving healthcare, they feel comfortable when they see someone that looks like them. And it might not have to be someone that's directly treating them. But if you walk into a capacity where you see multiple ethnicities, you might feel a little bit more at ease. And so when they had kind of explained this to me and how they were, they were in mode to produce and to push more diverse pharmacists into the field for this benefit, it really connected and resonated with me. Mm, that was a great life changers topic. <laughs> yes, sir. So glad, you know, we got to talk on something that really related to us and hopefully that would allow us to give y'all good information. At this time, we're going to move on to our social segment. What we're going to be discussing is cancel culture, right? Mm. And mainly the way in which we try to silence people in our society. Um, the big story behind this, Whoopi Goldberg was recently suspended by The View. The incident which led to her suspension was a discussion which had to do with the Holocaust, right? And mm. before we go down this road, I think we need to make it clear, both Bryce and I, we vehemently disagree with the statements would be made in the way that she made them, right. right? Like this is not a defense of the way that she conveyed the message that she was giving, that she gave. So to finish giving the story, someone mentioned uh, the Holocaust and just about the treatment of the Nazis toward the Jewish people, Whoopi made a comment stating that the Holocaust wasn't about race. After watching her, the full clip, uh, what she went on to say was that it was about man's hatred and inhumanity towards each other, right? And from watching it, at least for me personally, what I got that she was trying to convey that one of the greatest atrocities of our time or of any of all time was not specifically about the color of skin rather mm -hmm. it was about people finding differences between each other which allowed them to be hateful discriminatory violent and eventually commit mass genocide against a group of people however the way that she said it was wrong and that is completely understandable that she made a mistake and, you know, people were rightfully upset about the way that she said it. But she was quickly and, I mean, without Cancel. any question, yeah, suspended for two weeks from The View. And, I mean, her name's just being drugged through the mud right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it just goes to show how toxic our cancel culture can be because we're not leaving room for people to be wrong and then be corrected yeah this situation highlights at least for me it highlights the importance of providing an open space for people to input their opinions she had an opinion about something and whether it be right and wrong in the general society's eyes you know it it allows people who are engaging in conversation to not only see how she's trying to think but to, to gauge their own thoughts against hers. And so it becomes, let's say she's open and she realized she made the mistake, which she did, and she apologized. Mm -hmm. She now can learn from other people's viewpoints on the situation 
and correct her own thoughts or maybe change her thoughts or really, you know, find ways to evolve in herself and not just fear speaking out because if you say something that might not align with everyone's thoughts, you're canceled, you lose your job, you lose your livelihood. People don't want to talk to you or associate with you anymore. And that's, that's really a toxic environment to be in. And I feel like it's perpetuated by social media and a lot about, and it's a hard place because you look at a lot of things that were happened in the, back in the day, back in the day in the past. Right. And people might say, oh, they were culturally insensitive. Right. And that could be a case, but I feel like back in the day, people were allowed to speak on their things a little bit more freely. And then if they were, you know, inherently unjust, or if it was obvious that this person was uh, malicious in any way towards anyone or anything, or just had completely infactually correct viewpoints, you know, they were then addressed appropriately. They weren't just canceled and said, Hey, we don't, we're not going to talk to you anymore. You need to lose your job. You don't need to be in a position where you can speak because you said something wrong. To get it clear, there is a range, right? Like we're mm -hmm. not speaking on anybody saying any crazy violent stuff and then there should be no repercussions, right? When you, you're specifically saying we should commit violence against these group of people, this group of people mm -hmm. deserves to be insert, you know, thing, this, that, and the third should happen to them here. When people start talking like that, now there is reason for us to step in and be like, hey, we don't go for that. Yeah, that's not that's right. Punishable. Big yeah. yeah, exactly. But to the extent that someone gives their own opinion about how they feel, how they express, what they think, whether or not we agree that it's right or wrong, we should at least allow people to have those opinions and yep. we should allow them to express those opinions. And so be careful with that because in the social media age, these opinions can be easily amplified and disseminated to a wide variety of people and to where you'll start mm. to form this uh, monolith of a thought, right? And so you'll get parties that'll have, or large groups of people that have one thought, and then you'll have large groups of people that have another thought. And this is where this, this discord happens so easily. Political parties are, are, you know, one example. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because yeah, it is true that, you know, having this wealth of opinions can lead certain less salient opinions to grab traction. However, I would argue there will always, because of how open, you know, social media and all of these spaces are, right? Like we think about social media, we think Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, right? You also mm -hmm. have to consider there's places like Fiverr, Four chan, like all mm. of these services, I ain't heard of them. Where, <laughs> yeah, right? They're just like, but they're yeah. like niche social medias yeah. where these ideas that aren't allowed in the mainstream go to fester without anyone to challenge them because people kind of hide away in their little group. You know what I mean? Because like people can always find something to confirm their bias. And I think if we put these ideas out in the open, we can more easily identify who believes what we can have better conversations about them because since we're all out here talking someone can give you an idea it can be challenged and then there can be more of a back back and forth exactly. whereas if you only go to these small spots that confirm your opinion your idea gets reiterated and then it gets massified or you know enlarged and blown mm -hmm. up and it becomes extremism because yep. you never had dialogue with anyone who disagreed with you and I'll give you a perfect example. When we were at Arizona State, 
freshman year in my international politics class. Um, this was 2016, so the election was coming up. And every day in class, our professor came in and just kind of bashed Trump. Um, not like explicitly all the time, but right. every day we had a conversation about how is Trump in the election? He's a bad yeah, candidate. Yeah. We talked about him ad nauseum in a negative way. Right. right. And, you know, for the most of us, we did agree. So it wasn't an issue, but there were people in class that were actually closeted Trump supporters, but because we created an environment where we, they couldn't feel like they could discuss their reasonings for supporting Trump, you know, they hid that. And after he won the election, I remember specifically, it was one dude in class who before I considered not like a close friend, but we were good acquaintances. You know, yeah. we talked, we were on reasonable ground. And the day after the election, he came to class and, you know, was pretty much talking shit, talking about, oh, that's why, you know, we're sending all the Mexicans back, we're building the wall, like, all of these, like, horrific rhetoric, like, all of the worst things that you think when Trump was reiterating, <laughs> this man was saying yeah. those extremist ideas, like, it wasn't just a, oh, I voted for Trump, even though he's a little problematic, but mm -hmm. he's going to help the economy. He's in my party. What? No, yeah. what? None of that. It was like, if you think about it, grabbing by the pussy wasn't that big of a deal. Because, you know, he's rich and she probably <laughs> won't. Like, he had these ideas because yeah. he never came to class and felt like, you know, he could express his original opinions and we mm -hmm. could have back and forth like, hey, you know, this is why what Trump says is problematic. And he just got to this level he became such an extremist that by that point he was too far gone and there was no talking him off that proverbial ledge and so mm -hmm. that's what i worry about is when we silence people you create extremism on both sides because people have to run to their little echo chambers in order to have any discussion about their ideas and those people only serve to make those ideas worse i think there should be respect first and foremost for people's mm -hmm. opinions Right. And, and knowing that a difference is actually a good thing rather than something to pick apart and to develop a hatred towards, like you had mentioned earlier in the podcast. Mm -hmm. And when people start to understand and put respect and love for another human above their differences, you begin to not only understand people, because maybe this would have, if you would have understood your, the dude who um, expressed his his uh, love for Trump prior to the election happening, you might have, you know, engaged in a dialogue with him differently that could have maybe, you know, persuaded him to believe the things you believe, or maybe it might've changed your beliefs. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could have just took it for what it was at face value and realized, okay, this is where our relationship is going to be. And this is how I'm going to act towards him because that's what he decides to affiliate with. I respect that but this is how I feel. And so that, that reciprocity and that understanding has to come and it has to be perpetuated by social media. It has to be perpetuated by people with loud people who have the platform. And that's what I would feel like would be a really good way to usher in more of an open space and to kind of remove the cancel culture. Right. Because mm -hmm. I feel like cancel culture nowadays is actually kind of attractive to some people, right? Because yeah. it's the thing that gets the most likes. It's the thing that gets the most attention, the most views. You see somebody reacting to something that happens in such a flagrant way, like, man, this person needs to be fired, man, they don't need to do this, they don't do that. 
and people gravitate towards that negative energy for some odd reason. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when people start to represent and speak up for um, integrity, not only integrity, but, you know, um, people start to speak up for understanding and, and listening that I feel like that should be more glamorized. Yeah. And it's funny because cancel culture in a way is just outrage culture, right? Yeah. It's just a branch of our social media, which has become so incendiary to the point where it's like, you only see the things that are going to make you mad. And then what's the ultimate expression of anger? I want the absolute worst for this person because they disagree with me. Yeah. And you can find that, that even that mindset, you know, or those actions are quite limiting in, in, the, in the, the scope of what your relationships could be. You know, you mm -hmm. might find somebody that you might disagree with, but this person might be a beneficial or very important part to your success or guiding you to where you want to be or helping you along in your path. Right. And right. so when you limit to your, your thoughts to everyone that thinks like you or the, you limit the information you receive to, every, to everything that you believe, you find you're limiting yourself in, in your potential for success and growth. And this, is, this has all been like, you know, pretty heavy stuff like you had mentioned, not what we typically do. But please, I'm sure all of you guys out there have your own viewpoints on how cancel culture looks and how it should change or how you feel about it. Get in the comments, man. Really engage in a dialogue with us. Because that's a really good discussion to have because it not only creates the mindset for growth, but it, it creates a space or a dialogue between us and maybe that we might be able to help you. Mm -hmm. In fact, sir, we don't pretend to know everything or be right about everything like I we sure said at the don't. beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Fact, you know, this is an open space, mm -hmm. right? We're here to hear from y'all just as much as we're here to talk. We want to learn, like we want to be a community. This is a place where it doesn't matter how much you agree with us or disagree with us. Let us know because you know, the one thing about us, we like to learn, right? We like to have all mm -hmm. these challenges and we like to be forced to think about things differently. So please, you know, this is a call for y'all to interact with us and give us direct feedback about the things that you hear and what you think about what we say. All right, all right. Y'all know the yes, drill sir. by now. We three episodes in. Thank y'all <laughs> so much for joining us again on the Mindful Malpractice Podcast. We will see y'all next Sunday. Next episode. YouTube and the Spotify algorithm, you know. Smash <laughs> that like button. Can't buy twice, so don't get it as facts. Your music is trash and the feature is tax. How you there, bro, but you still moving packs. How you plan leading the pack from the back? Yeah, all my dogs will attack. Yeah, I don't bang, but I stack. Yeah, money I bring in the bag. Uh, money I bring in the bag. We securing everything that we ain't never had And we like to pop bags We meet almost broke when I'm looking at the dash Cause I'm driving so fast We came a long way, we ain't never going back Haters always ask how you get it like that I've been working, I've been grinding, you ain't living like that You ain't living like that, yeah I'm just addicted to winning Yeah, this is more than a commitment Yeah, money don't mean that you living Yeah, yeah you know I'ma start what I finish Whenever it's broke, I'ma fix it Get money and get out your feelings